Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Whoever welcomes you, welcomes me. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly, I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. Matthew 10, verses 40 to 42. Hospitality, pure and simple. If you were told the Messiah lives among you, what would your reaction be? Accepting those around you, whether they fit into your social circle or are the same faith as you, means you're welcoming Christ. To be hospitable, you don't have to buy new furniture, move to a larger house, or make elaborate meals. All it takes is a cup of cold water. Hospitality is all about attitude. If the Messiah is in our midst, then he could be anyone. Think about it. Aunt Ethel with her falling-out hair and rough-and-ready ways. Uncle Fred with his love of a pint, or a few. Cousin Liv, in and out of rehab. Grandma Marge, who says what she thinks. The next-door neighbor with three children out of wedlock. Hospitality. The welcome could be for you. The verse says, whoever welcomes you welcomes me. What does that mean? Are you up to being welcomed as Christ? Whether or not you are, if we're charged to behave as if the Messiah is among us, then we're included in that when others take up that charge and follow it. When you are welcomed, so is Christ. Quite a responsibility, isn't it? What a great verse to meditate on this week, especially with July 4th this weekend, actually today, with all the family reunions, get-togethers with friends, shopping for our picnics, and don't forget that cup of cold water. Hello, welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny and I'm here to dispel any preconceived ideas you may have about what educating your children at home looks like. It can be straightforward school or no school at all. It can involve world travel or a comfy seat on the couch. It can be in pursuit of passions or simply hanging out in a tree. Homeschooling can be embarked upon for a number of reasons too a physically challenged child or parent, the threat of bullies and overwhelming peer pressure, a particularly brilliant child who's bored in kindergarten, a conflict in religious values, a desire for the family closeness missing in your upbringing. For me, it's a lifestyle that suits the maverick lurking within. I wanted to be the one who saw the light bulbs go on. I wanted to be there at turning points in my children's lives. I didn't want to hand them over to folk who weren't their mother, and I wanted to make my own decisions about how to raise my children. Over the years I've been broadcasting, I've spoken to a wide range of homeschooling mothers, fathers and graduates who have found educational opportunities anywhere and thrived. I've moved in and out of my comfort zones. God and children will do that. I've gained insights and delights that I'm happy to share with you. With or without my children underfoot, my life is often ordinary, always busy and sometimes a roller coaster. But for me, it starts and ends with God. 
the beauty of a year-round cows and calves in the pasture, birdsong breaking the silence, the scent of orange blossom in the air, a starry night out in the middle of nowhere, and the happy clinking of lines on a sailboat, a serious hug, and an earth-moving crash of thunder to wake me up. If you pop by, I'll offer you a cup of organic coffee and a slice of sea-grape honey cake to tickle your taste buds. And thank you for staying. I'm broadcasting from Turkey Creek in Florida, and after the first break I'll be talking to my eldest son Ian and my youngest daughter Malia about how they lived together as young adults. I'm all set, so grab whatever it is you're drinking and let me engage you with the latest and greatest from the household of the McNinnies, where we're halfway through our house-sitting assignment here in Florida, have septic tank problems, power outages that change our schedules, and writing that works sometimes, and avocados galore. Are you ready? I don't need to tell anyone that today is July 4th, Independence Day, and for the first time since 2010 we are in America. Alas and alack, we're not spending the day with family because we're in Florida on a house-sitting assignment, and they're all in Texas or California, but at least everyone around us will acknowledge the day, and we won't be getting any mail. This year, I thought I'd take a little look back and chat about some recent fourths that were notable in our lives. In the year 2011, I dashed to England and spent my first four days by my mother's bedside and held her hand while she died. We were living in the flat in London, and on the first weekend in July, there was a spectacular garden party that we attended held in the grounds. There was a marquee and a grill, and the table was covered with a linen cloth, and there was silver and china. There were appetizers and meat, sausages, yep, sausages, fish and veggies, salads, sorbets, fruit, cheese, desserts, coffee... Not a macaroni salad in sight. My blue-eyed cowboy did make baked beans, however, but there weren't any pecan pies or watermelons. There was plenty of wine and conversation and even a quiz or two um, until we all thought a suitable passage of time had elapsed so we could start eating all over again. It was a thoroughly delightful event to hold during the week of July the 4th celebrations and a fabulous time was had by us all. For the past few years... My sons have spent the holiday with friends who live on land out in the country. They always get very excited for the 4th because they could personally release fireworks. We found the idea frightening and we told them. So they told us about the food in an attempt to distract us. They eat barbecue, they play loud music and they let off the crackers. They've been doing this for about eight years now, much to my dismay, and I let them go because it's a bunch of homeschool families and they're all friends and I'd be such a stuck in the mud if I protested, not to mention unpatriotic, which I am, but now I'm an American, I have to behave. Anyway, the year before we were away to London, off they went to enjoy food and company with fireworks. Perhaps I should tell you that one of their friends loves to dabble with pyrotechnics. He was a chemistry major and fearless. Once, when he and my oldest were about 15, a homemade explosive was constructed in my house using bits of garbage retrieved from my rubbish bin as a canister for the dangerous powder mixtures, namely a thrown away orange juice can from that morning, which I discovered later when I interrogated them. At the time, I was having a quiet little rest while they hiked in the creek. All of a sudden, I heard a huge explosion followed by my house moving. 
My eyes popped open with my first thought. I bet someone will report gunfire going off in the creek. That was pretty loud and obnoxious. And then I thought, I wonder if the police will come knocking on our doors. And I got up. I heard the six children, my four and the two visiting boy siblings, racing up to the garden from the back field and into my house. They were the culprits and proceeded to tell me the terrifying story, thanks to their tattletale younger sisters. They'd been down in the creek, and their friend had ignited a large homemade explosive, whose potential power he had grossly miscalculated. At first I thought he'd brought it with him, but then it slowly transpired that he had made it in my house. My son had planned to video the explosion, but when it went off sooner than expected, it knocked my two girls and the visiting friends down and scared them all to death. They erased the video before running up to the house. I banned the friend forever. Well, not forever. I banned him until he admitted his offence and apologised. So after that, can you wonder at my trepidation each time the 4th of July rolls round? And the call each parent dreads came to my Texan and me that year before we moved to London. It was Independence Day. Well, it was night. Late night, in fact. We were in bed, and I heard my brave cowboy pick up the phone, listen, and in a drowsy voice say, How hurt? And at those words I shot up in bed, all thoughts of gently slumbering gone while my stomach did flips. The two boys, neither of the girls had gone, thank God, came home with their tails between their legs. The oldest was shaken up, but he still had a video of the explosion, and the youngest had singed hair and eyebrows and a red face covered with a white imprint of all the wrinkles left behind from where he had screwed his face up in anticipation of the intense, fiery blast. For days, he looked surprised, as if a flash had gone off in his eyes, which, of course, it had, and neither of them could hear properly. We watched the video, which probably made it onto YouTube and went instantly viral. It shows the most deadly firecracker exploding in their faces. The friend who let it off sustained severe burns on his hands and he needed to go to the emergency room. The following year, both boys commented that for some reason they didn't have any desire to go near the fireworks. Wise decision, especially since we weren't there. Well... I just got a text swoosh from Dorts about her coffee shop shift, and it's time for me to go on my first break. When I come back, I'll be talking to my oldest son, Ian McNenny, who homeschooled with me from second grade onwards, wanting me to do college with him, but he ended up going to the College of Santa Fe for two years on his own to complete his BA in film production. Ian has worked as a freelance assistant editor at Real FX, a post-production house. He's been an editor at Tokrock and the Daily's assistant at Dallas that aired on TNT. He's executive producer for his own company, Swedish Productions. He specializes in story and narrative film video editing, live event editing, and story and narrative screenwriting. I've been blessed to have him join me on my show a few times over the years, and today we're going to be talking about how he managed to live with his younger sister and make it work really well. You'll be hearing her side of the story in the third segment, so stay right where you are and we'll be back after a bit. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. 
Mark Lipinski is coming to Toginet. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. A live two-hour show Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on Toginet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan Rivers Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo, dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle. Dive into the info and enjoy everything from celebs to entertainment news to recipes, quilting and needlework, knitting, painting, woodworking, Christmas crafts, and so much more. This show boldly encourages you to discover and harness your own creative spirit by living creatively every day. For more on Mark and the show, check out marklepinski.com. Don't miss the fun. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Good. Now, you know, everybody that hears that you and your sister lived together, shared shared an apartment or roommates. They they say so how how does that work? You can actually live with your sister? So how did it how did it work? I mean pretty easily. Um it it was somebody that I was comfortable with and had known most of my life. And so it really wasn't an issue of me having to figure out if our personalities would match or anything like that. I knew those would be fine. Mm-hmm. Um the easiest part about it was probably the entire time we were living together, I worked on Dallas most of the night, and Malia worked most of the early morning into early afternoon. Mm-hmm. So whenever I was at work at night, she was there by the at the apartment doing whatever she wanted to do. She made a lot of dinner um, and made a lot of messes. Um, and then whenever I'd come home it, in the middle of the night, I'd sleep until probably 11 or 12 o'clock just because I'd get off at, at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And that would be when Malia was away at work. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I'd get home and, and just have a, a little bit of time at the apartment by myself. And it just got to be a, a pretty, pretty ideal pattern for the two of us. Yeah. So you didn't actually live on the same um, time frame as each other. No, but when we did, it was it was nice because it was infrequent. So we got an opportunity to to then hang out with my sister or hang out with with me and you know all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So keeping the place clean was that okay? Was that an issue in the living room and the kitchen? Ultimately, no, because you know the I think the kitchen was probably the worst, just because we we got a little bit lazy on dishes from time to time. Um, but keeping the place clean for the most part wasn't that difficult just because you raised us that way. Yeah. Um, we just, we put most things away whenever we were done using them and, Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, probably should have vacuumed, you know, a little bit more frequently. But, uh, other than that, I think things were pretty good. Really? I didn't ever vacuum. You didn't learn that from me. 
Well, we uh, we weren't that messy, so it didn't didn't really need it all that often. But it was a fairly large apartment. You're not talking about this teeny weeny little thing with a shared bathroom or anything. You no, had. no, it was a two. It was a one thousand square foot apartment, two bedroom, two baths. So yeah. we we each had our own facilities and everything. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Did you talk about childhood stuff, or did you talk about current stuff? We talked mostly about current stuff, yeah. unless. I mean, unless somebody had had a conversation with you or dad about uh, about anything in the past that they just wanted to bring up or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, most of it was current, everyday, what's happening with me right now type of stuff. Yeah. And, and yeah. that was – it was nice to have a perspective that came from the same foundation as myself yeah. but yeah. also was kind of on a similar uh, mental path. Mm-hmm. Uh, as me now, currently. So. so, what's the difference in age between the two of you? Uh, I'm six years older than Malia. Okay, and people say that the youngest and the oldest child get on the best, and that you typically, the oldest child, would marry a younger child because they they get on really well. As the oldest, you're the trailblazer you know you were the one that mom and dad were the most diligent with and then slowly by the time we got to the youngest one it was kind of like oh you just kind of slacked off yeah Yeah. we just slacked off and hoping that the siblings would pick up the slack it would just trickle down yeah did you find that you uh, were tempted to be the parent or how did that work i mean she was no longer she was your little (laughs) sister people say that oh well she you know she's my little sister but of course at 22 she's not a little sister anymore she's just your right. younger sister so right i mean i guess i was tempted when we were still growing up but i think that was more so for what i thought was unfair treatment of me versus malia yeah. but I, I you never let me do that <laughs> yes i mean that that was not the the best kind of an argument for for me to make mm-hmm. um since we were living together it, it kind of took on a different role. I don't think it was parenting so much as Malia saw me as somebody who had walked this particular path before and mm-hmm. uh, might have some current ideas and, and thoughts about how she should handle something or mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I don't think it was any anything parent parenting-wise so much as just um, living life in – in conjunction with other people, even even if it's been somebody you've lived life with your whole life. Yeah. yeah. Um, the fact that we were, you know, I mean, in the same age-ish bracket mm-hmm. um, and were able to kind of relate to what's going on with me versus what's going on with her. And it, it was it was helpful for both of us. Now, you lived with another sibling, too, didn't you? You're the, you're the sibling liver with her. Liver with her. <laughs> yes, yes. I uh, I did. I lived with Simon before he got married. Hmm. That was something that I realized uh, a few weeks ago was uh, Simon lived there. And, and when we moved in almost two years ago, it was Simon and Shelby and Micah that uh, had all helped me move my stuff in. So hmm. um, I, I'd almost forgotten that I lived with Simon there for a little bit because it's it's, I guess, been so long since yeah. he was married and not there. Yeah. Uh, and the, the apartment has gone through two different iterations i guess mm-hmm. it you know was a singles apartment and now then it was me and malia yeah, yeah. so yeah simon lived there until he got married yeah and that worked really well too didn't it 
It did. Um, Simon worked at the zoo and spent a lot of time with Lindsay because by the time we moved in, I mean, he was weeks away from asking her to marry him. So, <laughs> you know, I knew that it was a, had an expiration date yeah. from the time we moved in, really. Um, so he, he spent a lot of time over there. So when Micah lived with us, it was me and Micah that spent most of the time together. And then when he moved to Chicago, when Micah moved to Chicago, uh, I, I had a lot of time by myself at the apartment. Yeah. And also I was working on Dallas at night. So my yeah. pattern was still such that I was kind of opposite to Simon mm-hmm. anyways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you've had quite good luck, I think, with some of your roommates. You haven't had such good luck with some of them. But I remember that <laughs> first apartment that you moved into in Santa Fe when you were at college. Yeah. You went from having a dorm room on your own to moving into an apartment. And your roommate, yep. when your father and I came, did we help you move into your apartment? Or you'd already moved in and we came and we did something. Saw it or saw something, it, yeah. yeah. And we both looked at each other and said we could not have chosen a more perfect roommate for you. Yeah, I I, I think so too. His yeah. he was, I mean this this tall, you know, lanky Irish theater tech mm-hmm. uh, techie. So I mean he was somebody I related to pretty mm-hmm. instantly with that. And then uh, we we had a lot of the same mm-hmm. nerdy uh, likes and dislikes. Yeah. You know, Star yeah. Wars and comic books and all those kinds of things. Yeah. So we had a lot to we had a lot like. to relate about. Yeah, I think that's important when you're, I suppose, when you're um, sharing a living space with somebody, because I've never done it. I've never actually shared an apartment with anybody except my husband. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's different because for those instances, you do have to learn how somebody else lives. Yeah. That's what I'm having to learn here in L.A. now is that I have uh, another roommate and it's somebody who I get along with uh, and and all but um you know we it's only been a week and a half and so there's a lot to a lot to learn about each other all right so to wrap up the your relationship with your younger sister now um has it changed since you um shared an apartment together or did it change more when she first moved to england and came back you know when there was that separation of that going on I think it probably changed a lot when she moved to England because we were forced to keep communication in a in a more um, quality way. Yeah. Uh, just the the conversations we had were a little bit more grown up and yeah. and you know had deeper meanings instead of just the this typical small talk. Yeah. Now since we've shared an apartment together, I think that we've both seen each other at at some highs and lows mm-hmm. and I think it gives us an uh, an opportunity to reflect off of each other and and you know change various things in our own lives. Well, I think that's really important because as siblings growing up as children you relate to each other as children and then when you get older unless you have that opportunity of spending time together instead of separating you know and going off to college and then staying in that college town and getting a job and really never regrouping back home you still think of each other as children whereas you've had an opportunity to grow up with your siblings so that you can look at each other as young adults now yeah 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 Yeah, it's a it's it's a great it's a great thing and it it 
ties back into homeschooling, which yeah. really kind of started it all and yeah. and forced us to figure out how to get along with each other on a long-term basis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And all about communication, right? Your communication relationship with your sister, uh, communication yeah. relationship with, you know, your parents. It's very important, well, yeah. isn't it, to keep all of that going? And yeah. I think you're right when you say that homeschool really is was the initial glue that got that going. So, it was. Yeah. It was. Well, thank you. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With Baby and Toddler Instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. I hope you enjoyed listening to my son Ian talk about how living with his siblings worked out all right. Homeschooling was the glue and communication the key. In this next segment, I'll be talking to my youngest daughter, known here on the show simply as Dorts. Malia McNenny completed her homeschooling career with me and received an Associates of Arts degree from the local community college before spending a year in London at a performing arts school. She returned to Dallas last year homeless and moved in with her oldest brother Ian and together they lived the perfect Ross and Monica life as the brother and sister roommates from their favourite show Friends. Listen now to her take on sharing a flat with Big Brother. So after my cruise line, I decided to come back to Dallas because I missed all my family and friends and just kind of wanted to get a fresh start. So I came back to Dallas and I ended up moving in with my brother, Ian. He's the oldest boy and we used to not get along when we were kids, but for some reason now that we're older, we're like best friends. Mm -hmm. So I moved into his apartment, his big old apartment in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And we lived together for seven months and it was awesome. He would work at night and I would work during the day. So we were barely ever there together except for on weekends. So it was basically like I had my own apartment, but I was able to split rent with someone else. Yeah. So it was pretty ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, we got along very well, and I was always cleaning, and he would cook. And we, just, we, uh, we formed well together as a good, we called it a bromate situation. Bromate. <laughs> yes. Is that what you said, bromate? Instead yeah, of, I used to call him my bromate. Your bromate instead of a roommate, yeah? 
Yes. Well, you know, people say when they hear that siblings are living together, when, when I would say something like, oh, um, you know, Ian lives with his sister, younger sister, she said, how does he do that? So, you know. Because I'm awesome. Because you're awesome. <laughs> I can, yeah. Um, would you do it again? I would definitely do it again. When he moved to L.A. and I moved to McKinney, he sat me down and was like, this is, this is the end of an era. We'll never live together again. And I was like, oh, hush, we might live together soon, you know, again. And he was like, well, yeah, really? I don't think so. <laughs> Only because we, he's just, he's 27, you know, he's starting his, his life in L.A. and stuff. And mm-hmm. maybe he'll get married. Maybe I'll get married. You know, you never know. But never I would know. do it again very easily, yes. Yeah. Um, I asked him when you hung out together, what was it like? Were you were you conscious of um, a shared background? Um, did you talk a lot about you know sort of stuff that you'd done as children, or did you just talk about what was going on in your lives at that time? Well, I don't know what he said, but I I would say that we would talk about what was going on in our day to day lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, we sometimes would bring up childhood, or hey, remember this, or mm-hmm. you know this well he did a lot of stuff differently at the apartment than we would do at the house that we grew up in mm-hmm. so that always got brought up because I would be like why do you do it like that that's not how we were raised or you know it's little things like why do you use the dishwasher we never used it when we were growing up mm-hmm. and I would never use it so anyway so we would I don't know we would talk about our daily lives because a lot of stuff was happening a lot of stuff was changing we didn't see each other terribly often so when we did see each other we would sit and have a beer and just sit and chat we wouldn't have our phones. We wouldn't have the TV on, you know, no distraction. We would just sit and have some quality roommate time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, we had friends. We had um, the TV show Friends was our common interest. Mm-hmm. So that was a very big deal for us because we always wanted to be like Ross and Monica, their brother and sister and their best friends. Uh-huh. So we aspired to be like them, and I think we succeeded. And he said you did a lot of cooking. Cooked I a lot of dinners, cooked. he said. <laughs> I did. I was um, I was nannying for a family in Highland Park. That was my job. Mm-hmm. And two days a week, I would have to cook for them. Mm-hmm. And so what I would do was to cook for six people, even though the family only had four people, so that I could keep some for Ian and I. And I would always put him a little, you know, lunch bag together and put it in the fridge for him. Mm-hmm. So I was a very awesome roommate. Awesome roommate. Yeah. Yeah. You got good at cooking, apparently. I got really good at cooking for some reason. Well, you know, I got really good at following recipes. Yeah. So. <laughs> Do you miss it? I can't claim all that. Do you miss cooking? I do miss cooking. I haven't done it in a while, but I do sometimes. Um, I sometimes will cook breakfast or or some sometimes lunch, but I do mostly easy things now because it's it's most of the time it's just either for me or me and Sam. Mm-hmm. So it's just for two people. Mm-hmm. It's not really really a lot of fun to cook for small amounts of people. Yeah, that's what we found after we stopped having our large family of six. I'd I'd make spaghetti and meat sauce and find I had enough to last me for the rest of the week. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's hardly worth cooking, and it's even it's even less worth cooking for one person. But it's good yeah. to cook. It is good to cook. You kind of learn how to cook just for one person. Well, I've I adopted a a miniature George Foreman grill, so mm-hmm. that's convenient when I just want to make myself a steak or mm-hmm. a piece of chicken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I like that a lot. Yeah. This is the first time you've moved into um, an apartment by yourself when you when you moved in with Ian. 
because we had sold our house. So you were thinking, oh gosh, now who am I going to live with? Where am I going to go when I get back to Dallas? Um, what was it like, the sudden responsibility of having your own place? Um, well, for a while there, I felt like it was Ian's. So I would, I felt like I was just renting a room in Ian's apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for a couple of months, I also was just excited about the freedom and the the being on my own. So I'd stay out late or I'd spend all my money or I'd, you know, eat fast food, do all this rebellious stuff. And then suddenly it hit that I had to be responsible and save money and pay bills. And (laughs) it took took a while for that to set in, but it, it did. And then it became, I I had a talk with the inn and we ended up discussing it and we became our apartment, you know, and Mm -hmm. I was hanging some stuff on the walls or I'd move something around and it would never bother him. And so that was always really awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, But to be my own place, I was very clean, I found. Mm -hmm. I I really liked to keep my area clean and I'd clean my bathroom every week and vacuum. And Mm -hmm. the kitchen was always spotless. You know, there were never dishes in the sink or anything. So I found that I'm a a big homebody. I really, I mean, I really like to, I like to be at home and I like to make my home clean and, and comfortable. But you always liked your room. You were always territorial. Yeah. Yeah, I became less territorial. I guess maybe on the cruise ship that helped. But um, when I was with Ian, he would always come in my room or I'd say, hey, yeah, you can go borrow my computer or my hair dryer or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. Didn't matter to me Mm -hmm. as much because I I knew he, he was just my brother. He was just hanging out, doing stuff, you know. Okay, so we're talking now about um, still living accommodation because Ian now is in L.A. So that left you Mm -hmm. high and dry again. How does it feel to be left high and dry all the time? (laughs) Oh, not very good. No, no. So it's exciting though. Yeah, but it's when it happens quickly like that though. It's sometimes it's not it's not so easy. So Mm -hmm. here you are, seven months into really enjoying having a bromate. And all of a sudden, your bro mates left, and you really can't afford that apartment. Plus, it probably wasn't in the best area of town. Well, I moved in with a lady, and her name is Tomorrow, mm-hmm. like like tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so she has children that are my age, and they've all moved out and gone on to do their own thing. And so I just randomly Facebook messaged her one day and said, "Hey." I'm moving to McKinney and I'd like to see if you knew of someone or you had a room to rent. And she ended up having a spare room that she wanted to rent out. And so now I moved all my things in and I've got my own room set up in her house and Mm -hmm. got my own refrigerator and things. And so it's only temporary, I believe just for the summer, but while I'm looking for an apartment and stuff for myself, Mm -hmm. but um, it's been, it's very cozy. She's very welcoming. I've got a really nice bathroom and, Mm-hmm. The house itself is very tidy and clean. She's a very clean person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it so. is it is just temporary, but you're you're actually feeling the effect of it not being your place. You're kind of missing not having your own place. Yes, I guess the freedom of my own apartment being I knew I could go cook some bacon at midnight if I wanted to mm-hmm. and no one was going to say anything yeah. or you know, being able to walk around after my shower with my hair tied up and not look like an idiot or a face mask on, you know, just stuff like that. That was my own place. And, it, you know, I was mostly home alone anyway. So it was just I could do absolutely everything I wanted to do. And I could go in any room that I wanted. And, 
you know, everywhere was my area. Yeah. Whereas here it's my room is my area because this is her house. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's a little bit challenging, you know, it's a little different, but it's not, it's not a bad situation to be in. Cause I know that it's not for forever. Yeah. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. I've been talking to my oldest son, Ian McNenny, and my youngest daughter, Malia McNenny, about their experience as bromates. I'm sure you'll agree they're wonderful people who thoroughly benefited from the homeschooling experience and the Ross and Monica real-life experiment. Ian graduated from homeschool and has a Bachelor of Arts degree in film production and is a film editor, screenwriter and executive producer of his own company, Swedish Productions. You can find him at LinkedIn. Malia graduated from homeschool and earned an Associate of Arts degree from Collin College before spending a year in London at a performing arts school. She's also a star barista and has worked in coffee shops in London and Dallas. She can be found on Facebook. They both spent a lot of their young lives working in community theatre, singing, dancing and acting in plays and musicals. I'll be talking to them both again later on in the summer when they'll be telling us something about what has happened in the past year that furthered their plans for the future. And just as an update, so that you're right up to um, speed with what Dortz is up to, she's moving again. She just loves having her own place and can't settle in a room. She's been looking at small apartments and has fallen in love with one and managed to do the math and decided she could afford it. I taught her her math after all, so all's good there. As her parents, we want her to be happy, but of course I'm always worried about counting chickens before they hatch and putting all the eggs in one basket. But life lessons can only be learned from experience. Just like Job in chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, we pray for our children as our parents prayed for us. The toilet downstairs in the shop started backing up. Not a pleasant sight, not a pleasant topic of conversation either, especially when it's someone else's place. We called the plumber. Once my blue-eyed cowboy had plunged it and I'd cleaned it up. The plumber announced it was the septic tank and proceeded to unearth it and prove that the little baby was full to the brim. 
gross. We had the people who do that come out in their meat wagon, as we used to call the trucks that went around emptying the septics in Guernsey, and they came out immediately to do the stinky deed for us. He told us, once he'd cleaned it out, that he could hear water trickling back into the tank, which meant the ground was sodden, not with the torrential rain, but with all the stuff that septic systems deal with over the years since it was first put in. He said we needed work done on it. Well, not us, the owners who are holidaying in England, well away from raw sewage in their front gardens. So we may have to deal with new pipes being laid and all the old sand and gravel being shoveled up and new put in. If it's done on our watch, we may even get a hotel stay thrown in. And the avocados on the tree outside my office window look ready, but when I cut into one, harvested by a nifty little implement my cowboy had rigged, is all stone and no fruit yet. I think at least another month. Oh, joy, once they're ready to eat, there are hundreds of them. The storms that we get here are such that we have power outages that last more than just a few minutes. Luckily, we have a gas stove, so one night with the power off, we were able to still make dinner, but we had to eat in candlelight, which was very romantic. Everywhere around us is already really dark, with no streetlights in the neighbourhood, and without any power at all, the stars lit up the sky, and blackness stretched for miles and miles across the fields. We had to have an early night that night. We took our flashlights for reading, and just as we were putting down our books, the power came back on, but we were already wound down. It had been three hours. I can't imagine what life was like before the electric light. A whole lot of talking must have gone on. I've just read Jeanette Wall's book, She Wrote the Glass Castle, but this book was Half Broke Horses, about her grandmother's life as a rancher in West Texas and Arizona. Jeanette's mother told all the stories about her mother, and I said to my southern gentleman, I wish I had a bookload of stories about my grandmother or even my mother. We have so many more things that eat away at conversation these days, although I am trying to find out as much about my family from the remaining oldies and making sure I talk and write about my childhood for my children. Well, continuing with 4th of July reminiscences, two years ago, 2012, we were in London again for our second 4th of July, and we went to see the play The 39 Steps. It was at the Criterion Theatre at Piccadilly, and was a it's a delightfully old-fashioned theatre, small and intimate, with wonderfully finished woodwork and comfortable-looking boxes. We were seated centre stage in the fifth row. There were a lot of schoolboys in attendance, which at first we were daunted by, but no worries, they were all very well behaved. Based on the John Buchanan story and then the Hitchcock film, the play had four actors, three men, one woman, and they played 139 roles in 100 minutes. It was witty, clever and very, very English. They made sitting on boxes representing train travel look effortless as they bounced around, and whenever they opened a window I could all but feel the blast of cold air that hit their faces or ruffled their clothing as they swished their coattails to great effect when being blown to bits by a gale in Scotland. Climbing out of the fast-moving train windows was also very realistic too. I was totally enthralled. The sound effects were excellent, and at times one actor played three parts while he was on stage. It was very funny, and if you ever get a chance to see it in your local city, you just need to go. Last year, 2013, we were 
again in London on this day. I can now celebrate because I am an American after all and my blue-eyed cowboy had been craving a chili dog for months. So we went out and bought one of those dinky little one-use grills that are sold in the supermarkets here. Really, the weather was so bad that summer that all we needed was a disposable grill for the one day. <laughs> we roasted a bit of chicken and some dogs got chips, which are French fries, in from the chippy and baked us some beans, ate coleslaw from Sainsbury's. It's really good and played patriotic tunes. There weren't any fireworks in London until later on in July when they go crazy over the Thames during the proms at the Royal Albert Hall. Did you notice that I used the word dinky? I meant it to mean twee or small. And in my Scrabble game that I play online, I was allowed to use what I thought to be the verb version of the adjective, dinking, which, on looking it up, doesn't mean participating in smallness. It means drop-shotting a ball over a net so that it just makes it to the other side and is impossible to return. Dinking. What a great word. Also, last year, our married son and his wife were in Michigan, where the in-laws live, for a second wedding. It was exactly three months after their first wedding. Not many couples get hitched twice. The event was as large as their Dallas shindig. The whole works, justice of the peace, a photographer, full reception and cake. Ooh, I wished I was there. I do so love a party. Lindsay wore her wedding dress again, and our son bought a fancy suit that he can wear on other occasions. They took their baby birds with them, the blue and gold-winged macaws, and Bella the raccoon. They couldn't trust anyone to feed them three times a day. Heck no. Since their car was full, they had the wedding dress, they had chair covers that needed to go back, another paraphernalia for the party. The raccoon was in her cage behind the passenger seat, and the birds had to be held on the passenger's lap in a laundry basket. Bella, the raccoon, like an irritating child, would not be quiet the whole journey. Eleven hundred miles of trilling. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? <laughs> When they stopped for the night, they had to sneak the animals in and feed them, but Bella would not hush up, so they had to put her back in the car. Luckily, they were in Kentucky, where it was cooler than Texas. Nothing but adventures go on in our family. Now, back to Florida. I get up really early to walk the dogs. At first, I'd get up at my usual time and take them for a quick walk. Then I'd come home, do devotions and Bible study, and then take them out for a longer walk. But one, it was getting hot by then, and two, I wasn't getting any yoga in, and I was starting my writing really late and really hard as I tried. I was only able to get a good two hours of writing in a day on the book I was supposed to be working on all summer. Something had to change. I started to get up with the dawn chorus. Well, some of the birds start a little bit earlier than dawn, and I ignore them, but I do get up around 6.15 and roll out of the back door and down the outside steps with the very happy dogs, and off we go for an hour, just us and the cows. I walk fast, so we cover about four miles. Sometimes we have little adventures along the way, like a raccoon or a cat, and every now and again another dog joins us, but not for very long. I should really carry Mace, just in case the big dog decides to get in a scrap. Well, it wouldn't be him. He's too gentle. It would be the other dog that I should worry about, but I don't know where the Mace is, so I just 
go and hope that nothing awful happens. I get home at about 7.25 and my cowboy and I are ready to go to work with our prayers and devotions while sipping our herb tea. Then I write for about three or four hours before lunch when we have our first cups of coffee and we usually eat fruit and yogurt. And then I write again for a couple of hours, then give myself a break for email and perhaps talk to a child when one calls in. I may do yoga. I always go for a bike ride at the end of the evening, just before it gets dark, when it starts to cool down again. It's so nice that it does. It's a little bit cool in the mornings and a little bit cool again in the evenings. And if a storm comes in, it cools way down. My cowboy takes the dogs for all their other walks, which are turns around the cul-de-sac, right outside our front door, which we call going down the culdy, and then a longer afternoon walk around the neighbourhood. At the weekend, I try to focus on my social media, unless I have some shows to record, then everything goes out the window. Trying to stay on track just isn't easy. I find the trick is to not even get online until about three or four o'clock in the afternoon. Then I have all the writing I want to do done, and my brain needs a break from concentrating on crafting words. My writing process is difficult sometimes. I'll spend hours on a paragraph looking at words, reducing several lines to one, deleting pages, moving stuff around, adding. Sometimes it's productive. I always write though whether it's good or not and then by about the third day a light goes on and I get my voice and I'm off. Reworking, massaging the bare bones I've written under a cloud of despondency. When I've done well, I'll read it to my biggest fan, Mr. Blue Eyes, and I've had a good day. Other times, when I'm working on three essays that started out as one, it feels as though I have three puzzles all mixed together in one box that have to be sorted out. Eventually, though, after a lot of hard work and word searching, I succeed. I'm slowly but surely getting through the book. Thank goodness my cowboy doesn't mind having dinner duty every night. Sometimes I just can't stop and there aren't enough hours in a day. I always watch an hour of Netflix with my cowboy to wind down before bed and there are days when I'm not in the best of moods but he stays patient through it all. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're staying here for another month which means we're halfway through our assignment and I'm almost halfway through the book. The last half needs more work because the first part consisted of essays I'd taken to my reading critique group so they were pretty well polished but all this next stuff is raw material. I think I took more than a few weeks working on my first segment so I'm praying I'll get the whole thing done by the end of July. Hooray for the 31 days in July and then I can funny it up in the last month. Well at least that's the plan. And I'm finished expounding on all things 4th of July and Florida. Just be safe, enjoy your families, hug your children, tell them you love them, eat lots of food and be safe around the fireworks. Go see a large organized display. Okay, don't let your own off. I hope you enjoyed hearing how two of my children managed to live together. The others will creep into the show slowly but surely over the next few weeks. Thank you for listening to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny, and I'll be back same time, same place next Friday. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Toginet Radio, my producer, Sabrina, my guests' siblings, Ian and Malia McNenny, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Joel, 
Anne, Rosemary, Kathleen, Esme, Millicent, Margaret, Jacob, Walter, Jane, Olivia, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. Stay tuned all the time to Toginet and catch lots of great shows to help you through your day. Take care and be safe. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Number 6, 24 to 26. Doop, doop, doop. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toginat. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who were willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So, we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.